Today's episode is a rerun from an interview we ran around this time last year, in which I speak to Manu Kegenhoff about off-grid living. So get cozy, imagine yourself beside a warm wood stove if you don't have one, and enjoy. I'll be back with a new episode in the new year. Happy holidays and happy new year. This is Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. We share a more in-depth take on the most popular stories from our print magazine, showcasing the territory's extraordinary people, culture, and outdoors. I'm your host, Karen McCall. You can picture it, a small cabin nestled in the woods. The sky is dark, but warm light emits from the windows. It's hard to visualize the north without some sort of cabin. Some Yukoners grow up in cabins, or at least spending time at one, maybe out at a trap line or by a lake. For others, it's a novelty. They move to the Yukon and live in a cabin for a few months or years before moving into town. For still others, it's a lifestyle that sticks. Take Manu Kegenhoff. She's the art director and co-publisher of Yukon North of Ordinary magazine. Fourteen years ago, Manu moved from Germany to outside the tiny community of Atlin, B.C., which is about two hours south of Whitehorse. She lived in a tiny cabin before building a larger home with more amenities, but still off-grid. Our conversation is based on a column Fiona McGlynn wrote about off-grid living for Yukon North of Ordinary, the magazine. Unfortunately, when I asked Fiona to do this interview, she was too busy getting her cabin ready for winter. Go figure. Luckily, Manu agreed to step in. Ironically, shortly before we sat down to do this recording, there was a power outage in Whitehorse. Then, partway through the interview, the batteries in my recorder died. We got that fixed, but you can think of this as an off-grid interview within an off-grid interview. Here's Manu. Hey, I'm Manu Kegenhoff. I'm from Atlin. I'm the art director and co-publisher of Yukon North of Ordinary magazine, and I'm happy to be here um, in this off-grid podcast. <laughs> uh, we're extra off-grid right now because we're recording without power, <laughs> uh, which is not usual in the city. But for you, um, building a cabin, what is what is the sort of status of your cabin? What what facilities do you have or not have right now? <laughs> so. Yes, uh, so I live off grid, but I don't know if you still call, call it a cabin. It's a little bigger than that. In, in on paper, when we when we first started out designing the cabin, it looked like one. I'm not aware how big a building can be. <laughs> still be called a cabin. <laughs> still be. Yeah, we were very surprised when all of a sudden uh, all the walls were up and the roof were on top, and it was actually a house instead of a cabin. So. It, Kind of looked smaller on paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Did it start off as like like one room and you kind of kept adding to it? Yeah, kind of. Well, it's an open concept place with uh, um, with a little loft upstairs. Um, and uh, I guess we just weren't aware about the dimensions when we put it, yeah, when we di- designed it on paper. And then um, all of a sudden it, it turned out that we had this big cabin slash house all of a sudden open concept and there was lots of room but there was no space like no space to put stuff no space for an office no you know no storage nothing and um, our plan was to add a big water tank to the place um, which was initially planned to be um, in the ground but that didn't work out because delivered to Atlin for that 
tank wasn't possible. Or there was there was I can't even remember what the issue was. But <laughs> anyways, we needed to to buy a new water tank, and the only one that was available was a four thousand liter tank, which was huge, and uh, we had to build an addition for that. So. With the addition came extra space, an extra room, and uh, two extra rooms actually, and a little shop. So um, yeah, it's it, after all, it turned out so much bigger than we planned it would be. So I guess we can call it a house now instead of a cabin, but still off grid and kind of cozy. So you said you're off grid, but uh, what I guess yeah, what facilities do you have? Like where do you get your water from? Um, we get our water uh, two ways. Um, our drinking water and the water for the house is being delivered um, by the local delivery service. And uh, in the summer, though, um, we also haul water from from the river for the garden and for, you know, the chickens. And haul it like in a co- bucket or you have a, no, like a pump system? Uh, we have a pump and a little water tank that we haul behind the car and then drive down to the bridge. Um, initially, we were thinking of getting the water from the river, but it's it's about 300 meters away from the house, and then there's a little of elevation, and the river is not very deep, so it freezes solid come November. That means during the wintertime, we wouldn't be able to, to get the water from there anyway, so that's why we decided to get that big tank. And what about your... Um Electricity, where does that come from? Um, electricity, for now, we're still um, running the main source with a generator, a source of electricity with a generator. Um, big plan is to get solar panels on the roof and do it that way. So our battery station is already set up for that, um, and solar is the next big step. Generator that is that usually a diesel generator, so you'd be running it like just for certain parts of the day. It's a gas generator. Yeah, it it runs for a few hours a day to fill up the battery bank, mm-hmm. and the batteries, yeah, serve the house. Sorry, back to the water for a second. Yes. <laughs> um, because you've got the water tanks, does that mean you actually have like does your water come through your tap and shower? And yes, yes, like okay. yes, yes. Very fancy. So in the beginning, we actually we we lived in a little cabin uh, that was on the property, which is tiny. It was super tiny. It's still there. It's a guest cabin now. Um, and we hauled water f- to that, the famous blue buckets, tons of them, tons of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now, if, if you would enter the house, I guess if you don't know that it's off grid, you wouldn't notice at all. So it's we have taps and a shower and a washing machine. And it's kind of set up for all amenities. So it's it's it's... It's it's kind of a fancy setup for off-grid living, I guess. Is all your heat come from uh, your wood stove? Yes, wood stove. Mainly wood. We have two stoves, one in the shop in, in the addition room we had to build for the water tank, um, which is running in the winter. Um, additionally, to our big stove that heats the house. And that's that's the big stove, and, and it's completely... It's perfect for for, for that amount of space if you left for a period of time i guess the house would freeze solid so you kind of have to have someone there all the time in the winter yes yes i we could set it up to leave it for a few weeks it's it's um insulated well enough and um that would work but we would have to prepare it for sure yeah like every northern home i guess you know there's (laughs) some some pipes that might freeze so you drain the pipes and yes exactly remove anything that you don't want to freeze exactly yes 
so it's not you said it yeah it's quite a comfortable setup now but obviously like there's a there's some work involved you've already <laughs> done a lot of work but then daily work so what's mm-hmm. the motivation for for this kind of lifestyle <laughs> for you well it's 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 interesting because when we moved to Canada it wasn't our intention to live off grid um per se it was more that we found Atlin fell in love with Atlin we were looking for a space to live um and um found that property um, that belonged to a friend who wanted to move in with somebody else and she was looking for good buyers. We we saw that piece of land, fell in love with it and that was it. So that it was off-grid was a secondary thought for us. Um, we loved it so much that we just wanted to make it work. Um, yeah, we lived in the city for quite some time um, and, and having all the amenities. It was adventurous at first, so it was awesome, you know, living that life and, and in the wilderness and no neighbors, no direct neighbors. Um, it was a big, big, big adventure and it, it was fun doing it, you know. Um, but also what I noticed over time was that you, you can live in a tiny space with wood heat and hauling water and off grid for a while, but especially in the winter, you you miss certain amenities. And um, I slid back into a more comfortable life for sure. So one thing that I really wanted back when moving out of that little cabin was indoor plumbing. And that was a thing. <laughs> so outhouse is nice and dandy for a while, but if you have to get up in minus 35 uh, in the middle of the night and uh, can't fall back asleep because you're shuddering and it's cold, and then uh, that's that's fine for a weekend or a week or two, but after a while, it's just annoying. How, so that was, that was a biggie. <laughs> How many years did you go without plumbing for indoor plumbing? Five years. We lived in the little cabin for five years. Yeah. Wow. So you enjoy your hot showers now. You appreciate them. <laughs> totally do. And it's still it's still work getting all that done. And, and it's not just like you turn on the tap. There's a few steps that you have, you know, put up the generator, get the pump ready, um, make sure the water is, is, is um, in the pressure tank, all these things. But still, you know, it's, it's a hot shower. Mm-hmm. It's a hot shower and it's a toilet indoors. That's big. <laughs> you said you fell in love with uh, with the property. Um, do you want to just tell us a little bit about the natural setting? It's like, is it fifteen minutes outside of Atlin? Yeah, it's it's about a it's yeah it's about fifteen minutes um, out of Atlin. It's um, sitting in a little valley, close to a river, the Fourth of July Creek. We can see Atlin Mountain from our place. We can't see the lake, but it's it's a beautiful beautiful setting so the view is stunning in all four directions and um it's yeah we can see the river you can look down beautiful gentle valley and it's yeah it's it's in the middle of the woods um but with the most stunning views I guess even in beautiful places and um there's still we hear sometimes about cabin fever where people Mm. get kind of like cooped up in the winter and it can kind of make you like irritated and irrational and Fiona wrote about that for our um, winter issue uh, last year and I'm wondering have you experienced uh, cabin (laughs) fever? Um, I must admit not so much by the end of the winter come April I 
guess, yes, you get a little antsy and you want the snow to be gone. But there's also so much you have to do on your daily chores, getting the wood in, you know, and feeding the chickens, walking the dogs, um, chopping woods, getting everything going. Um, that I never really felt cabin fever per se. And I must say that the group of friends in Atlin or the community of Atlin really makes sure that cabin fever is a no-brainer, really, I, I feel. It's it's a great community to be in and, and people get together when they want to. And um, no, I never personally never really felt cabin fever, but also I'm I'm a super active person, so I love to go out, and I think that's that's the biggest thing, to um, to use the daylight, go out, go skiing, be active, and then just be tired in the evening and go to bed when you feel like you have to sleep and sleep off cabin fever. <laughs> I think that's exactly what Fiona said in her article of some of the tips, like being outside, making sure you're socializing, kind of set yourself a routine and mm -hmm. all those sorts yeah. of things. And for different people, obviously require like different amounts of, I guess, uh, social interaction too. Some people would get stir crazy sooner than others. Yeah, totally. And and people often ask me if um, if I don't feel lonely out there. And I I, I never really do. You, you're just as lonely as you want to be, right? So... Um, Sure, you can hibernate and keep yourself off from the world. And I'm pretty sure um, that you get a little weirder by the end of the winter. That's definitely a thing. Um, but yeah, you can you can definitely fight cabin fever with, with a good group of friends and, and lots of outdoor activities. And we are so blessed with, with all of these here in the north. In Atlin, there's not really, like, the restaurants, like, in the nightlife. I mean, there's, like, an arts community for sure. <laughs> yeah. But with friends, are you kind of having, like, board game nights and sort of other kinds of smaller get-togethers like that? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, dinners together, game nights. Um, <laughs> we have a group of ladies. Uh, um, we do a wine and book club, which is very important, of course, because, you know, especially the wine part. <laughs> um, and that's once a month. And um, yeah, there's, uh, we have our little, we have our own little rendezvous festival called Frosty Frolic um, by March, April. So that's great. That gets people out and go crazy on the event part. So yeah, stuff going on. I feel in the, in the summer often people are not as social because they're so busy. They have so much to do. There's so much to do to prepare for the winter and yeah, to use daylight. And, and in the winter, people are coming together, getting cozy and fight cabin fever right at its roots. Yeah. Since you mentioned, uh, yeah, people have a lot of things to do to get ready for winter. Like what would be sort of like a day in the life of an off-gridder in terms of, yeah, getting your house ready? <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting question because right now, and I'm probably speaking for, for a lot of people who, um, who are doing all kinds of things in the summer and know they have to prepare their wood, for example, and just wait uh, until last minute anyways, like uh, I did this <laughs> this, this fall. Um yeah, uh, that's a big thing. So hauling, I'm hauling my own wood, and um, it's it's a big task. So you have to go into the forest, get get your trees out, you know, chop them up, bring them over, chop them up, and uh, that takes a lot of time. That takes a good amount of time. Um, so you're, do you have 
in the winter, are you going with a snowmobile and hauling them out or are you kind of going in by um, hand? Both ways. So for now, in, in the fall, um, getting the truck out somewhere in the woodlot and then cutting up of some dry trees. and um, But also cutting down trees in the winter with the ski to um to get them out then and let them dry and let them lie for a little bit. Um, but it's also, you know, preparing the garden for next year and getting these things ready, making sure the chickens are heated and and not freezing in their little pen and all these things. Um, make sure the water doesn't freeze and keep the house warm. That's That's a constant. When you have a wood stove, you really have to keep it going all the time and and uh, have to keep that in mind. How many chickens do you have? Um, six. Six, okay. And how big is <laughs> your garden? Um, it's fairly big. I have a greenhouse and I have a garden in front of the house. And um, it's it's one of my pleasures in the summer or come spring. And, it, and again, this is awesome against cabin fever when you start your seeds in March. So I think that gives hope that winter is over soon. Although I love winter, don't get me wrong. But um, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a good pastime. For sure, gardening. It's a, it's a long winter. <laughs> it's a long winter. It is nice, uh, yeah, seeing the little like green sprouts yes. coming up at the start of that. Definitely, yeah. yes. Are your chickens for meat or for uh, eggs? For eggs. Okay. Egg, yeah, just layers. Yeah, I guess, so I guess before winter, there's just lots of sort of checking to make sure things are <laughs> It's true, yeah, yeah. yeah. How much wood do you go through in a winter? Oh. We kind of, we talk about cords um, being, that's sort of like, I guess, the size of a full pickup truck. Yeah. Back, yeah. Yeah, I would say three to four cords, including, yeah, with two wood stoves running. They're pretty efficient, I must say, but three cords for sure. Yeah, that's a bit of work to be yeah. uh, hauling all that <laughs> out of the wood and chopping it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good exercise too. Yeah, I was going to say, you're strong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do a push-up competition with you. <laughs> oh, well, well, yeah. Yeah, ask me again in two months when, you know. <laughs> Time for a short break. We'll be right back. Do you have a Yukon North of Ordinary hoodie yet? What about a t-shirt? A toque? mug. Check out the full product line at the retail store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steel Street across from City Hall. Limited products can also be ordered from northofordinary.com. And while you're there, don't forget to pick up a magazine subscription. And now, back to the episode. So for us city dwellers, when we come and visit other people's cabins, um, Fiona, for her, the spring issue of uh, Yukon North of Ordinary wrote about cabin etiquette. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of cabin etiquette that's sort of not obvious that us city folk <laughs> w- should should know about? Um, for my place, not in particular. Um, not really. Um, I mean, you have to love dogs when you come visit, but I don't think that's particular a, a particular thing for off-grid living. Um, so that's probably pretty Yukon-wide. <laughs> So you have to tolerate a lot of dog hair. Um, yeah, well, there's one thing that might sound strange to city dwellers. Um, because we we are on water delivery and we only have a small septic tank, we follow the good old golden northern rule, if it's yellow, let it mellow. So that is really a big thing because we don't want to flush the toilet all the time. That's when we lost battery power for the first time. I think most people know this, but if it's yellow, let it mellow, is often paired with if it's brown, flush it down. It's a motto commonly used to encourage water conservation 
in the water closet. Yeah, so it sounds like one of the things that city dwellers need to be aware of is, I guess, like the finite resources or the amount of work that goes into all the all the amenities at a off-grid location. Yeah, totally true. So especially when it comes to um, outhouse use or toilet use, then definitely I that that is the big uh, cabin etiquette at, at my place, just to be. Um, thoughtful about the resources and the water and because it's limited and um, you just have to be mindful of that what about chores like is it um, help like kind of expect people if they come and stay that they're going to maybe help haul wood and do a few of those things (laughs) Um, I don't expect it from my guests but it's always welcome of course so and what I find if I have visitors especially from my home in Germany or um people who are not used to live in the wilderness, they welcome these shores and they love cutting wood and um, doing all these things because it, it, it gives you a feel of adventure and getting back to the roots and finding, yeah, finding pleasure in, in these activities. Um, so yeah, when, when I have friends staying for a longer time, definitely they should do their own wood for their cabin, for the guest cabin, and haul their own water. And um, But they do it gladly too, so that's what I noticed over time. Uh, and I guess even if a cabin is kind of on the more rustic side, that doesn't necessarily mean you can wear your shoes inside, right? Like it's good to just, I guess, ask the cabin host or hostess what, what the kind of rules are. Yes, and you know, living off grid, you, you usually you don't have a paved place in front of your house it's it's all gravel or the garden and of course there's there's a lot of dirt coming in so you want to um, limit the amount of stuff that comes in in my particular situation i have three dogs at home and uh yeah they don't wipe their paws <laughs> so i let people leave their shoes on because it's a dog home it's full of dog hair it will be never ever squeaky clean that's just the way it is. So, <laughs> yeah, but I can understand why many, many folks have that rule. There is some etiquette I know related to the outhouse, but we'll maybe hold that for the end uh, when we talk about outhouses specifically. <laughs> so uh, another thing that Fiona wrote about was off-grid entrepreneurs, which also you happen to be one. Um, so what, what kind of work do you do from your home? So um, I... M- my office is at home and I'm doing the art direction um, for the Yukon magazine. So my setup is that I all I need is the Internet and I can pretty much work from from anywhere. And um, yeah, that, that's my bread and butter. And it, it's, it enables me to to live where I live and, and keep the lifestyle that I love. Um, while um, making money with it too, you know, support a living with it. So that's awesome. And technology has come such a long way. I, I remember in the in the first few years um, living living on that property, <laughs> internet was so so slow and very 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 iffy, and um, it was really hard to keep a business running there. Um, I had a deal with a guy who. <laughs> who managed the internet back then that whenever I had to upload a magazine to a printer, he would shut off the whole town just for me 
for half an hour so I can upload the magazine, give me all the bandwidth that he had, and then shut it down again. So we had that special thing. It was, you know, every three months, there was this one day, half an hour, that was exclusively reserved just for me and my business. And that was awesome. That is amazing. Um, by now, it's a little different, of course, uh, with, with satellite internet. And it's so fast and it's, it's, it's great. So it's easy to work from where I work. But without that internet, it wouldn't be possible. Is it comparable to what people in Atlin would have in terms of internet speeds? I would say it's probably faster than that. Ooh, they're going to be jealous. It's so fancy. I can even watch Netflix if I want to. Off-grid living. <laughs> wow, that Did is luxurious. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what about phone lines? Yeah, no phone line. Um, I don't have a landline and there's no cell service in Atlin. And even if there would be cell service, I doubt that my place would, would receive it. Um, so phone, again, all only works through the internet so i have a skype number um that i use for everything and uh, i was just bragging about my first cell phone ever that i use when i'm in town in whitehorse um, and it's wow it's such a big step forward <laughs> luxurious i guess hey absolutely i feel so urban with it it's great <laughs> so when you first like 14 years ago I guess there was there still there was Skype then, hey, but it wasn't as easy. Like there wasn't WhatsApp calling and FaceTime calling and stuff like that. But you were still using your your Skype line. Yes, yes, it's the same number I had right from the start. And Skype was was established a few years before that, I think. And uh, yeah, no, yeah, still have that same number. It's a and it, it's weird because it doesn't have Canadian numbers. You can you can get. Um, a landline number, but that's American, and that's that's strange. So sometimes when I call people around here, and there's, you know, they recognize the number and they think I call from the U.S., um, but no, it's not. It's and and many people in Atlin who live off grid use these numbers. So when an odd number appears, then it's it's probably an off grid person using Skype. So I guess back in time when you were on the really slow internet, were there times when you were thinking, okay, like, I can't do this. I have to move into town. Like, this isn't possible. There were some iffy moments, especially when, when you, when you hunted by deadlines and you want to, you need to make it work. And I sometimes, I actually, when the internet was down and there was no way, um, I could work from out there, I had to drive to town or to Atlin to somebody who had some kind of connection, internet, whatever. But um, yeah, it was very, very stressful and um, it, it wouldn't have worked for long because, yeah, it's if it's when it's not reliable, then yeah, you can't run a business on 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 that. And it's too stressful for all parties. <laughs> so there's definitely some challenges to uh, being an off grid entrepreneur. Are there any perks? <laughs> I love being where I am. The place, again, this property is so beautiful. It gives me so much. And every morning I'm so grateful to look out of the window, see the light coming off of Atlan Mountain and sitting on my couch at night and watching the Northern Lights. It's it's incredible. It's, it's magic. I love it. And I, I also love the physical activity that it involves. Um, living this lifestyle, um, it keeps me active. I love being outside. So it's a good mix, you know, with having my office in there and doing my work there, but also 
providing for myself and it all right, just some technical difficulties there. So, yeah, you said it's, it's nice balance. It's it's a nice balance um, between work and... I still think it's play. Um, but it's also... It gives you so much confidence when you know that you can provide for yourself, can live the way you do, um, know how to chop wood, know how to get your own water, to get your own food from your garden. So this kind of home steady off grid life, um, yeah, it's, it's very satisfying in a lot of ways. And also part of your work is your photographer. Mm -hmm. So um, I guess there's a lot of fodder just like right outside your doorstep. That's true. So the camera is always on or, you know, at hand. So because there's lots of wildlife, you see so much wildlife running around and beautiful light in all directions. And um, it's it's very close to some beautiful lakes and and mountainsides. It, you just step out the door and you have a photographer's heaven right in front of you. So that's awesome. You always have some sort of inspiration then. That's true. <laughs> and it never gets old. All right. So not to end on like um, sort of like a toilet note, but um, <laughs> for the last column that Fiona wrote for this series, uh, we just, just decided to feature outhouses because that's a huge part of cabin life for many people. Uh, maybe you can tell us uh, about sort of the progression you went through living off-grid and then how you eventually got your your indoor plumbing. Indoor plumbing, yeah, my claim to fame. Mm -hmm. um, so when we started out, there was one outhouse on the property. By now there's four. Um, so you move them or you move the holes. Um, but usually with every new outhouse comes a new design and some new you know, features. <laughs> and it's kind of funny too. Uh, for me, outhouses are such a, such a staple of Northern living. Um, almost every place has one um, that lives kind of out of town. And um, I love all the different designs and all, and you get inspirations from them. So with every new outhouse, I try to do something different. Um, and um, we they're still in use, especially for the guests, of course, when, when they are in the guest cabins and don't want to come to the house at night. Or, I don't know, even, you know, stepping out in the morning and just sitting there. And uh, it's almost, uh, you can, my outhouses always have a window. So that's very important so that you can look out um, because it's very meditative, actually, mm -hmm. <laughs> sitting on that outhouse. Um, but also, and that's why I was saying claim to fame, I remember a friend of mine, Dave White, who works for CBC, and um, at one time I was bragging about the new house and that we got our bathroom and indoor plumbing and it was awesome and kind of happens to be World Outhouse Day and he interviewed me for a CBC um, show in the afternoon and uh, yeah, that was my, my little claim to fame to talk about how life changed for me from outhouse to indoor plumbing on World Outhouse Day. So <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I think many people remember that. I guess. <laughs> the people, the people it was like, such hey, a, yeah, yeah. The, this show, yeah. <laughs> but many Why people could relate. <laughs> it's true. No, but it's, it's yeah, of course. And uh, I enjoy my indoor plumbing, especially at night at minus 35. That's mm -hmm. awesome, you know. 
So for people who haven't really had a lot of experiences with an outhouse, like outhouse, like they're simple, but one could still take them for granted because there's a lot of work that goes into an outhouse. That's like true. you mentioned the hole. Like, yes. so you're digging, how far down are you digging these holes? Ooh. Um, when we're lucky and the neighbor has his Kubota sitting right there, then six feet for sure, at least. Um, there's different designs. We've tried different things over time. And... Uh, yeah, the Kubota last time our friend was over was so handy that he just dug two. So for the next one to come. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, they're, they're fairly deep. So you have to maintain those two before they smell mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, do their stuff. What, so what do you do for ventilation? Um, well, what do we do for ventilation? We just let it sit there i guess and uh, hope for the best uh, we use wood ashes from the okay, stove yeah. to to cover them um and uh, there's a bucket next to it so we don't put the paper in so they don't fill up that fast right and that's something that a lot of people yeah. like you have to train people to yes do, you right? have to because do that it's if, if if you have somebody who's not used to it it's it's strange, of course, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're so used to just flush it down. Mm -hmm. um, out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. So no, in, in the house, if, if it's yellow, let it mellow. And in any case, put the toilet paper in a bin. Inside and out. <laughs> and then that gets burned, I guess. Another one yeah. of the off-grid uh, exactly. off uh, chores yeah, that happens. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The ghetto bin is standing in front of the house and yeah. burning regularly. <laughs> the burn bin. <laughs> What you mentioned that you, you there's sort of some creative aspects to your outhouses, like what sorts of things? Um, in the beginning, we were uh, collecting postcards from our friends all over the world. So whenever they were on holiday, we made sure. I remember by now everyone is sending emails, but we made sure they're going to send postcards and it was plastered in that. But it's also a great place to display all the collectibles you get from your ventures in the mountains, you know, from from antlers to old mining relics or whatever you find, you know, and nice rocks and stuff. So that's, that's, uh, it's almost like a little museum mm -hmm. uh, in a way, you know, it, it displays all the good finds. And maybe some good reading in your outhouses too? Oh yeah, most definitely. For sure. You can also, ordinary is always on the outhouse. That's good, for sure. Good. <laughs> Where else would it be, right? <laughs> no, but um, all kinds of reading material, whatever you find in from, from magazines, newspapers, uh, modern living. <laughs> well, you've sure painted a, a nice picture there of, uh, of cabin or off-grid life. Is there any other sort of parting words or thoughts you want to leave us with? <laughs> I really must say it's 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 a lifestyle choice. You sometimes you have to learn to love it, but it's because it, it can be very um, exhausting even sometimes. You know, when stuff breaks in the middle of winter and you you know you can't just get it around the corner and have to live with your blue buckets again for a while because your um, water heater broke or something. Um, but I wouldn't I wouldn't change my life anything else I love it so much and and yeah you, you learn to live with the bad things and you hundred thousand percent enjoy the good things that it has and yeah I'm happy happy I live the way I do well thanks so much for uh, sharing with us it's been really great to hear thanks Gary it was a pleasure to be here thank you so much mm -hmm.
That's it for this episode of Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our print magazine by going to northofordinary.com. While you're there, check out Yukon North of Ordinary merchandise. For a full product line, visit the Bricks and Mortar store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steel Street across from City Hall. There's a great selection of hats, stickers, clothing. I love my hoodie. Do you have something you'd like to say about this episode? We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Facebook, North of Ordinary Media. You can also email me, editor at northofordinary.com. And just a reminder, I'm Karen McCall. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review wherever you're listening. Thanks to the whole team at North of Ordinary Media. Special thanks to art director Manu Kegenhoff. Our music is by Headcandy and tribeofnoise.com. Thanks for listening. That's it for the winter series of Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. The spring series drops in February. We hope you join us then.